happy Reformation Week to you, and welcome to episode 74 of Between the Times. This is a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina, and we're glad to have you with us today. I'm Ross Hodges, and with John Payne, we're ministers at Christ Church, and we are very excited today and to talk about not Halloween, not mm. candy, not all those terrible decorations that fill my neighborhood. Um, <laughs> But to talk about something so much grander, and that is the Reformation, which has been overshadowed, uh, we would say, we would think by by Halloween in our culture. John, uh, we were talking over the the break, uh, over our getting ready to record this podcast, about how it's such an economic driver these days in our economy, all the money and the, the parties and the decoration and the candy and the costumes. Second only to Christmas. Second only to Christmas, yeah. And it's... Really uh, sort of extraordinary how that's happened. Um, But one of the consequences of that is that even in the church, we've lost our uh, understanding of and our our focus on and our celebration of the Reformation, which is uh, always the same day as as Halloween, as Reformation Day. So we want to recover some of that. Uh, We love the Reformation. We celebrate the Reformation, and we stand in the, the history of the Reformation today. We believe it still matters. We want to talk about that. So John, walk us through the history of the Reformation. Um, it's it's no uh, large challenge. Don't worry about it. You can do this in three minutes or less, I'm sure, to <laughs> cover the significance of this massive topic. No, in all seriousness, give us a snapshot of the Reformation. Ross, there is a lot of ignorance about the Reformation. Uh, what's extraordinary is that, say, in our public school system, uh, even in our Christian schools, there will be a very little emphasis upon what any historian worth their salt understands is one of the biggest shifts uh, in Western civilization. Sure. Uh, The late 14th, early 15th century Renaissance and Reformation uh, really changed uh, the face of Western Europe. And to ignore these massive uh, uh, events that uh, changed culture and uh, uh, changed economics and changed uh, political uh, contexts it's it's madness to just ignore yeah. these things so as you as you think back uh, to the 15th century uh, you have men like <clears throat> uh, like Jan Hus uh, in Bohemia and uh, John Wycliffe mm-hmm. and others who were forerunners of the Protestant Reformation as as you will they were men who were beginning to challenge the theology and the practice of the medieval Roman Catholic Church. Which was the church. It was right? the church. In the West. You didn't have, like today, you would be in a typical city in the, in the U.S. or even in Europe, you'd have various denominations and, and, and choices of, of churches you could go to. It was just one church. It was the mm-hmm. Roman Catholic Church. And so for these men to stand up against the church, which was of course, uh, heavily and unbiblically connected to the state, yeah. uh, to, where there was a lot of overlap with uh, civil power and ecclesiastical power, you were really standing up against the greatest powers in the world to yes. stand up against the Roman Catholic Church because you were also standing up against the emperor and people like this. And therefore, Kings. very much in danger of losing your life, as many of these men did. Sure. Uh, Jan Hus, of course, was burned at the stake. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so... As these grievances were, were coming forward more and more, uh, you, you had uh, God in his providence raising up this, this man, um, 
who was, uh, I believe, born in Eisleben in Germany and uh, born in uh, 1483. Uh, and uh, he one day was walking in the fields as a young student and there was a lightning storm that some that came upon him and young Martin Luther uh, with lightning bolts crashing all around him cried out uh, to his patron saint uh, Saint Anne save me and I will become a monk and so he ended up getting through the storm and he to make a long story short became an Augustinian monk hmm. After joining, uh, he later began to read the New Testament and uh, started struggling with what he was seeing in the Roman Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And uh, his father confessor thought he needed to go to Rome. Maybe there he could find the answers to his questions, go to the the center of, of the Roman Catholic Church in Rome. Mm -hmm. He went there and what he saw really disturbed him, mm. uh, the selling of indulgences the veneration of saints and of um, icons yeah. uh, and uh, relics, you know, the, the bones of the apostles yeah. and uh, the milk of the Virgin Mary and the pieces of the cross and, sure. you know, just just ridiculous things. And, and so... And immorality and, and, immorality and, and corruption and, inside and the church. Crazy immorality yeah. with brothels dedicated to the priests and mm. uh, with news of the Pope having you know, over a dozen illegitimate children and things like this. So, so Luther comes back to Wittenberg and he is trying to figure out what to do and he's, yeah. he's struggling, he's reading the scriptures and, and one day, by God's grace, uh, he recognizes that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone mm. and that scripture must bind the conscience and not tradition and and so whereas the roman catholic church was holding up actually the church over the scriptures and tradition over the scriptures to interpret the scriptures particularly with the pope um what luther declared was that it is the word uh, that must be the final authority. Hmm. And of course, Luther was going through his process of reform, personal reform, the things he said in his early, uh, earlier days or different than what he said in his later days. And he grew and, and was sanctified and, and was reformed in, in, in his life, of course. But Luther really started a powerful reformation when on October 31st, hmm. Uh, in Wittenberg, he in 1517, he nailed 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg. Which would have been sort of like the billboard of the town. It would have right? been, yeah, it would have been, yes, uh, like a message board where you put up notices and kind things. Early Instagram. Yeah, and he, so he nailed these 95 theses, which were 95 uh, grievances against the Roman Catholic Church. And... Uh, the, the understanding is some of his students took that off of there and made copies and sent them all over the place because the printing press, of yes. course, which was created back in the mid-15th century, mm -hmm. so about 70 years earlier. Mm -hmm. And so there was the ability now to, to mass produce 
these 95 theses and people began to read them and be convinced of them. And see a critique against the institutional church, the only church, the only religious authority that anyone knew that you, that you didn't challenge, you just believed and most people would would be born in the church and would be married in the church and would die in the church. And highly superstitious. Highly superstitious and, and not any sort of real engagement, no engagement for the common man with the scriptures themselves because no. either they couldn't read or they didn't have a copy of the scriptures. And, well, they were in Latin. Or they were, yeah, exactly. They're Latin, not in the common tongue. And um, Thank you. And So you, you have now this, this wave being, or this sort of something that isn't done, that you, you, you just questioned the church yeah. and you don't do that, but but Luther did it. Yes, and after standing up uh, to the Pope uh, and to the Roman Catholic Church in a very formal way at Worms, in the Diet of Worms, this, this great meeting with the emperor and, and, and uh, cardinals and officials in the church, Roman Catholic Church, he made a stand. And from going away from that meeting, he thought that his life would be over, that sure. he would be taken out. And of course, Rome did want to take him out. So one of his uh, uh, patrons... Uh, the elector, Prince Frederick, uh, kidnapped him mm. and took him to a castle, the Wartburg Castle uh, in Eisnach, Germany. And th there he translated uh, the Bible into the common tongue, common German tongue. He's the first one to do that. So he, he sees this need, this massive need, one, for the scriptures to be understood correctly, which he was claiming the church is not doing. Mm -hmm. The church is claiming that, that the scriptures, you have to understand them through our interpretation. Luther is reading the scriptures on his own going, but this isn't correct. Yeah. And so then he sees that the common person needs to have it in their common or vulgar, as the term was used, the vulgar tongue. Mm -hmm. um, and... And he, he does that. He gets it into the hands of, of the common people so they can yes. read the scriptures themselves. That's right. Uh, so, so all of this is having a massive impact. And uh, some people take it too far and they want to, you know, the iconoclasts and they want to destroy churches and, and, and really strike out in a way that's very non-Christian. Turns to violence. Violent, yeah. And so there are those things that happen, but but generally speaking, when we think of the Reformation, we think of uh, a recovering of the gospel, because in the Roman Catholic Church, there were things like indulgences, where you quite literally would purchase uh, years off of your purgatory, or if you just want to say it this way, you purchase your salvation by mm -hmm. buying this piece of paper, which then went on, of course, to pay, the money went on to pay for St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Yeah. Um, and so there's all kinds of corruption, financial corruption, sexual corruption, doctrinal corruption. And Luther is standing up against all of this. And uh, Luther begins, of course, you have uh, celibacy in the priesthood. And Luther begins to preach against that. And he gets married. And all of his friends get married who were former monks. And you can imagine how... Uh, scandalous this was in the Roman Catholic Church and nuns in fact Luther married a runaway nun mm. Katharina von Bora she was it's just an exciting story you know she's uh, escapes uh, from her uh, convent in a pickled herring barrels you can imagine how she smelled when she first met Luther um, but she and Luther uh, were married and they had a very playful godly, fun, you know, servant-hearted marriage. And it's just a really powerful story. If you've never read, you need to read 
uh, a good biography of Luther. And so, sure. so from from Luther, uh, you have his writings impacting people all over Europe, mm. uh, impacting men like John Calvin, mm. uh, the French reformer who spent his uh, the bulk of his life in Geneva, Switzerland, uh, who really was the main leader of the Reformation. You know, Luther. Luther preached and threw out bombshells that helped bring these tectonic shifts in society and in the church, and then Luther kind of systematized it all. Mm. He wrote the Systematic Theology and the Institutes of Christian Religion, uh, first published in 1536, I believe, and then uh, uh, 1559 was the final version. Luther, of course, lived from 1509 to 1564. And, uh, and then, of course, an impact on men like John Knox, mm. uh, the great Scottish reformer, uh, who was the pastor at St. Giles Church in Edinburgh from 1560 to 1572. Earl Zwingli, mm-hmm. who was uh, Luther's contemporary, born a year after Luther was born and, um, and died in, uh, 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 as a, as a, a soldier um, yeah. on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and he was an amazing reformer in um, Zurich, Switzerland. Yeah. And then you, you have se- second generation reformers as well, but in all of these, there is this emphasis upon worship in the language of the people, mm-hmm. uh, an emphasis on congregational singing and participation in the service. So hearing the word, singing the yeah. word, coming to the Lord's table, it not just being an event in the yeah. front of the church, but something you participate in. All things that were not happening in the Roman Catholic Church. They, they were not happening um, at all. Uh, you were really just a spectator if you came to a Roman Catholic worship service mm-hmm. and you didn't understand what was going on. Right. The, the only thing that, that really meant something to you was when the host was lifted up and uh, the host was the bread mm-hmm. uh, uh, at the Lord's table and uh, the bread and the wine in the Roman Catholic Church was understood as being the actual physical body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that moment when it was held up, it was this moment of great fear and uh, and, and worship, like adoration. Mm-hmm. And so people were actually worshiping uh, the, the, the bread and the wine. And it's a lot of the superstition that you were mentioning a moment ago. A lot of the superstition. Communion would have only been once a year um, mm. where they would partake of it. Uh, they would only to partake of the wine, if I remember correctly, because the the bread it could, it could crumble, and you wouldn't want the body of Christ like, or or the or the or the juice. I think it may have been just I think the was, bread. I think they only yeah. ate the bread. And they only ate the bread, and yeah. maybe that's where some of the tincture thing came from. Yeah, yeah. some of the tincture came, and yeah. so so lo- lots of uh, of confusion and uh, false teaching and error in the Roman Catholic Church. Very corrupt, uh, still very corrupt today. Yeah. Let it be said, Still. there's extraordinary error. It's salvation by works. Mm-hmm. It's um, the, the doctrine of celibacy in the priesthood has, in part, led to extraordinary wickedness on the uh, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, cover up for ch- child abuse. Yes, yeah. <clears throat> we're seeing it all over the news. But uh, so Luther, Calvin, Knox, Zwingli, Oculumpatius, Bootser, others. They were seeking to reform the worship of the church, that it would be according to the word of God. The discipleship and the oversight of the church would be according to the word of God. And uh, that really was where the five solas were, were born as well. Yeah. So they, just to recap here, they, they were coming out from inside the, the, the Catholic church and they were protesting things that were happening. Yeah, the, the Protestant Reformation was a protest against 
the corruption of the medieval Roman Catholic Church. Because they wanted to reform it, and they wanted to, they wanted to, to change, and, and that didn't happen, and so it ended up that they, that, that they had to break away from the church, and, and hence we get Protestant Christianity as opposed to Roman Catholic Christianity, where now you have Lutherans, and you have different Reformed churches in, in various places, um, uh, around the world. So, so that happened, but the, the doctrinal, sort of the five points that a lot of people are familiar with, as you're mentioning, these, these five solas or the onlys of, or alones of the Reformation are, are, are summaries of some of those main doctrinal things that, that you've been touching on. Can, walk us through those. So sola scriptura, because these are all Latin uh, phrases, means scripture alone. And this was to show the disparity between the Protestants and the Roman Catholic Church, because the Roman Catholic Church believes that uh, that tradition is elevated over Scripture. That that tradition, and, and part of that being the magisterium, the Pope, the cardinals, and others, that they <clears throat> tell the Church what the Bible means. Uh, hence, in the medieval Church, you had a minimization of. Um, and, and not a care that the people would read the Bible for themselves. Sure, they, they didn't need to. They, they didn't, didn't need yeah. to because they were told right. what it what it was. And uh, and so Luther and others came along and said, no, the Scripture alone is the Word of God and our final authority for faith and practice. Mm-hmm. So our conscience, like at Worms, he said, my conscience is held captive by the Word of God. Yeah. Luther said, you know, popes and councils have erred, mm-hmm. but the Word of God is the truth. And so while we don't want to devalue tradition, we, we've heavily valued, we're talking about tradition right now, the Reformed tradition. Right, of course. But the Reformed tradition is that the Word of God is the final authority and that yeah. any confession or creed or doctrine that is explained uh, in, in, in books or in, you know, in, in, in church courts and so forth are all under, they're subordinate to the Word of God. The Word of God always is, uh, is above uh, any creeds, confessions, or Book of Church Orders, things like that. And, and the Word of God is itself uh, its own best interpreter. Yes. So you, you interpret Scripture by Scripture. And yes. so when you have a conflict between tradition and Scripture, Scripture rules, Scripture wins. Right. And so if, for instance, there is a passage that's difficult to understand, you find a clearer passage to help you understand that passage rather than taking an unclear passage and basing your whole doctrine on that. Such as the doctrine of relics that you were telling me about earlier, where they use the, 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 the words about Joseph's bones being taken to uh, ba- back to Canaan out of Egypt, and, and they create their doctrine of relics out of this. Whereas you get, it's, that's nowhere in Scripture. That It's just a reading into that text. And so you could use yeah. the rest of Scripture to yeah. say that, well, that tradition is, is clearly, clearly an error. Correct, correct. Yeah. And then, so you go from sola scriptura, the scripture alone is the word of God and is our rule of faith and practice alone, mm-hmm. um, which obviously gives us a very high view of scripture in our churches, in our preaching, in our teaching, in our family worship, in our personal Bible reading. So the word of God becomes very, very, very important um, in the life of the church. And, and churches that don't have the word of God as that way, then they really don't believe in sola scriptura, mm-hmm. you know. <clears throat> so that's a, a part of our Reformed tradition we, we highly regard and value. Uh, the next is sola gratia, uh, by grace alone, that we're saved by grace alone mm-hmm. and not by uh, works. It's not, so it's not Jesus plus my merit. It's not 
the the baptism that I receive in the church yeah. and some of this grace that I get from Jesus, plus everything else that I do within right. you know within the penance system and so forth. And in the Roman Catholic Church, there's what's called the the uh, treasury of merits. That there's this treasury of good works uh, that have been filled up by great Christians of the past, saints, and so forth, mm-hmm. that we can draw upon. Uh, no, the only righteousness, the only righteousness that that makes us right before God, that that uh, makes us justified in God's presence, is Christ's righteousness, because it is a perfect righteousness. Mm. Uh, so we are saved by grace alone. Uh, and then there's... Uh, Sola fide, by faith alone. So we receive that grace through the instrumentation of faith. And faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, is a gift from God lest any man should boast. Faith is not something we're born with. Faith is a gift from God. Mm -hmm. Uh, Faith is not something we we possess inherently and then we just need to kind of discover it and exercise it. No, it's, it's that which you receive when you are born again. Yes. At the very moment of your regeneration, you receive the instrument of faith whereby you receive and rest and hold on to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Which is the next thing is that it's solus Christus in Christ alone. Yeah. So we're, the scripture alone is the word of God. Uh, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Christ is the only way of salvation. Mm. Uh, there aren't multiple ways to heaven, as many would teach. You know, you see the bumper sticker, the coexist bumper sticker yeah, with all the yeah, different yeah. insignias of different religions. Right. Um, Christ is either the Lord or he's a liar and a lunatic, as C.S. Yeah. Lewis once said. And so it's in Christ alone. It is by grace through faith in him alone that our salvation rests. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, when we receive Christ, we receive full pardon for all of our sins and we are robed in his very righteousness, which he uh, imparted to us and we mm. receive by faith. And so when we stand before God uh, right now, we stand justified, not because of anything we've done or, or will do, but solely because of what Christ has done on our behalf. So mm. it's in Christ alone. And, um, and, and of course, the Roman Catholic Church ta- teaches that it's Christ plus our good works, yeah. plus our endeavors in the church yeah and plus the church itself right so the priests and and the the sacramental system and the saints and mary and all so mary ends up being your mediator not the son and the saints end up being your advocates not jesus and the priests end up being your way to god not jesus being your way to god that's right and and the final one is solely deo gloria yes uh to god alone be the glory j.s bach would sign his uh his compositions, compositions that with, yeah. with that. And, and we want that to be the signature Amen. of our lives. That yeah. We're living for the glory of God alone. So really what you've articulated here is, uh, with these solas, it's, it is really just the gospel. It's the good news it is. That, uh, that we are saved by God through Christ, that it is in his grace by faith, which is a gift, uh, in Christ alone. And um, it's to God's glory that he, mm-hmm. he gets all of the glory. So, that I think that answers our question automatically, why is the Reformation still matter today? It's because the gospel still matters today. Amen. And because Jesus matters today and that we have no hope apart from him and apart from the grace of God. And if you really want to get a great summary of Reformation doctrine, go to the uh, what 
some are calling the six forms of unity, mm. uh, are creeds and confessions yeah. from the Reformation. Go to the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, go to the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a post-Reformation document uh, about 50 years after the Reformation. But solidly in that. But solidly in that tradition. tradition. Uh, go, go to the Belgic Confession. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to Calvin's uh, catechism, Genevan Catechism. Go to the Scots Confession mm-hmm. of 1560, uh, where John Knox was heavily involved. And, uh, you know, read these confessions. Read the first and second Helvetic Confession that, that Bullinger wrote in Zurich. Um, go to the, the, the Synod of Dort, which again is a, a later document in the 16, 18, 16, 19 but one that clearly communicates Reformation doctrine. Look at the larger and shorter catechisms of the Westminster Confession of Faith. These documents are going are gonna to crystallize uh, for you uh, the, the main uh, tenets of Reformed confessionalism and communicate the centrality of the gospel, a high view of the Word of God, uh, the essence of faith, and uh, a approach, what I would say is the, the, the healthiest um, expression, the most faithful expression of biblical Christianity that, yes. that, the, that the world has ever known. Yeah, and I think that's the, that's the point that we want to make sure our listeners are walking away with here is that Reformed Christianity is biblical Christianity. Yes. That, that's the whole point of the Reformation is that they wanted the church to reform its ways back to Scripture, to be yes. molded by Scripture and to be faithfully teaching Scripture. And so when we when we celebrate the Reformation, what we're doing is we're celebrating biblical Christianity. Yes. And uh, that is why this week and, and on Reformation Day, we can celebrate this with, with such joy is that what we're celebrating, and, and and while we're thankful for God's providence in men like Luther and Calvin and Bullinger and Knox and, and the others, it is ultimately we're celebrating in God's providence the recovery of the gospel mm-hmm. and the recovery of biblical Christianity, and we're celebrating the, the fact that he has given us the gift of being able to stand in, in that heritage. And we really do need... The recovery of these things today as well. We do. As we look at the, the broader evangelical church. I mean, I'm not talking about the liberal church. I'm talking about churches that hold up their Bibles and say that this is the Word of God. Yes. And yet worship has, um, has I think, rightly been termed worshiptainment. Yeah. That there's an emphasis on uh, rock bands and slick, uh, edgy preachers who tell more stories than they do exegete scripture. If you read the the sermons, for instance, of the reformers who were having such a massive impact across Europe, it's, 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 it's exegesis. Yeah. It's an explanation and application of the word of God. That's what animated them in their studies. That's what uh, moved them in their pulpits. That that's, that's what drove them was a faithful proclamation and explanation and application of the Word of God. Um, Amen. And so we want to recover that in our day. Uh, we want to model that at Christ Church as best as we can, and we want to see other uh, churches being committed to that. The, the broad evangelical church, I believe, has slowly moved away from uh, you know liturgy that is communicating the gospel clearly. Amen. Uh, it's moving away from Lectio continua preaching, that is preaching through books of the Bible, mm. 
to give people a proper understanding of the scriptures and how Christ is at the center of all scripture. It's, uh, it's moving away from catechetical instruction and serious doctrinal instruction for our children. And these mm. are the things that have come out of the Reformation. It's moved away from Lord's Day observance yeah. and, uh, and true biblical piety that's rooted in scripture and not in sort of the fads of modern day uh, culture and the kind of uh, consumeristic evangelical culture, which is just trying to get you to, to buy the next great book on the four steps of how to be a great Christian. Um, mm. You know, we, we need to recover what we call reformed piety. Yeah, and I think um, at the center of all of that is the Lord Jesus. Amen. And that reformed, uh, the reformed tradition, reformed Christianity is biblical Christianity because it, it puts Christ at the center and yes. exalts him. So what a great conversation. Thank you, John, for leading us through that. And to our listeners, uh, go forth, enjoy this Reformation Week and enjoy Reformation Day. It's not uh, Halloween. It's, it's Reformation not Halloween. Day. It is Reformation Day. If you happen to eat a <laughs> Snickers, you can do so. That is fine. But remember that Christ is at the center, that uh, the day that we celebrate is, uh, it should, should be more about uh, God's blessing upon the church mm-hmm. and bringing reform to the church and therefore uh, bringing Jesus uh, back to the hearts and minds of his people. So uh, we thank you for joining us and we look forward to the next time that you'll be with us.